You are listening to KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. That's a little Brad Colrick for you. Lines in the Dirt, the title track off of his uh, wonderful CD. All right, uh, welcome to How's It Growing, your weekly gardening connection brought to you by your local community radio station, KZUM. Happy 45th birthday coming up. Our birthday party coming up uh, in the KZUM birthday fun drive starts Monday, February 13th. So this coming Monday, how cool is that? Hey, and get this, you can go to KZUM.com. O-R-G right now and pledge your support in the name of How's It Growing. If you love How's It Growing, well, we want to hear from you. This is commercial-free radio, folks, and uh, one way you can support KZUM is during the fun drive, so we hope to hear from you next week, but I hope to hear from you. Shoot, right here, right now. Go to KZUM.org and pledge your support to this wonderful gem of a radio station. All right. Well, a bright, sunny day out there. Uh, pretty darn nice out. Uh, the wind is not really bad at all. And just, uh, you know, beautiful stretch of weather. Man, well, kind of paying attention to the forecast, you know, we're all kind of mindful there is a drought going on out there, right? And we're a little, little nervous about the spring coming and uh, really nothing uh, major. Oh, I follow Ken Dewey, as you're aware, on, on Facebook and a climatologist. And for between now and I think he said February 27th, something like that, a half inch of snow is possible. So go figure. It's going to be dry, folks. We got to live with it. All right. Uh, welcome to the program today, 474-5086. If you want to get in on the conversation, I have Benjamin Vote from Monarch Gardens calling in here in about uh, a few minutes. And uh, we'll inter- interview Benjamin about the value of prairie plants and going native. And uh, looking forward to that conversation with Benjamin coming up here in a few. But first, uh, I want to let you know about the word of the day. The word of the day is urtication. Urtication is uh, a forgotten folk use of nettles. And as you know, listening to the program, I'm a big fan of the stinging nettle. It's an amazing plant. And uh, if you want to just you know dive into the history uh, type in urtication, that's U-R-T-I-C-A-T-I-O-N. Urtication is uh, basically uh, where the word thrashing comes. I'm going to give you a thrashing. Uh, came from that word, urtication. And and the fir- the nettle scientific name is urtica dioica. So urtica basically is uh, where the word urtication came from. And dioica is because nettles are a male-female plant. So it's a dioecious plant that uh, has... You know, uh, female parts and, and male parts and other parts. So anyway, uh, stinging nettle seed, that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. But man, I'm telling you, if you start looking up health benefits, um, you know, for food use of stinging nettles, be prepared for a lot of great stuff out there. And actually, there's some scientific research on uh, using stinging nettles for the process of urtication. This uh, I'm going to read to you uh, was pulled out of an article on Herbstock, and Herbstock is a great group to follow. They have a newsletter uh, that you can get sent to you online, and that's kind of cool to have. But anyway, the first nettles uh, nettle harvest is easily one of m- the most eagerly anticipated harvests of spring for us foragers out there. To me, spring hasn't truly sprung until the nettles are here. We call it nettle season. When it comes to harvesting nettles, one of the first things folks always ask is, but don't they sting? Well, yes, they do. The next question is, do you wear gloves? My answer, well, nope. You'd be hard-pressed to find any herbalist who doesn't choose to harvest nettles barehanded 
at least once a season on purpose. <laughs> Why? Well, because the sting, just like almost every other part of the plant, is medicinal. Now, of course, you're kind of thinking, what? No way. You know, stinging nettles hurt, it itches, it burns. Well, those little nettle stingers are small, hollow tubes that we call trichomes. Visible with the naked eye, found on the leaves and stems of the plant, and when you brush up against, their fragile silica tip breaks off, releasing an impressive array of chemical constituents upon contact. Right? We're aware of that because she, she burns, right? And while the complete chemistry and mechanism of action of the stingers is not fully understood, we do know they contain small amounts of formic acid, uh, tartaric acid, oxalic acid, and the neurotransmitters like histamine and serotonin and likely many other chemical compounds. Well, the phone is ringing. I think we have Benjamin on the line, so I'm going to have to get back to urtication another time, but I really encourage you to look it up and, uh, again, be prepared for uh, some fascinating reading on the process of urtication, especially if you're suffering from arthritis, uh, inflamed joints, things like that. Man, oh, man, check it out. It's it's the drug for you. <laughs> All right, I have a caller on the line. Hello, caller. Who am I speaking with? Oh, Bob, you're speaking with Benjamin. Benjamin. Well, I didn't recognize the number, Benjamin, because it came up as Plattsmith, and I'm like, well, I'm thinking this is him, but I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. We do have kind of caller ID down here anyway. Well, Benjamin, vote from Monarch Gardens, folks. I told you he was going to be calling in, and, and here he is. So thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us today, Benjamin. Is life hectic for you right now, preparing for spring? It's incredibly crazy. I'm, yeah, I've, I've got garden design plans up the wazoo, and, you know, the new book just came out. So, Bob, you know, it's, and it's 50 outside. I'm like, we're all raring to go. <laughs> right. Yeah, and uh, and people often think, well, is it too early to plant? You know, people get start, the juices start flowing in February, and, uh, you know, especially when we start getting weather in the 50s and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, so uh, good stuff. And, and, Benjamin, yeah, tell us about your book, uh, you know, that, gosh, it's already sold out right it's a, getting a second printing is that is that the deal yeah first first one first batch sold out a month ago it, and it just wow. released on january 24th so prairie up an introduction to natural garden design it's a it's a how-to guide for people starting out with uh native plants and and metal gardens sun and shade metal gardens and just it's perfect for newbies because there's nothing else else like it out there. But yeah, second printing is coming in. So if you're going to order it on Amazon, it should be there any day now. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, that's just great. And congratulations on that. And, and kudos to you for making that available to all of us humans out here because, you know, you're, you probably saw a need. You know, there were books out there on prairie plants. It can be kind of overwhelming <laughs> for people, uh, you know, because there's so many to choose from, so many different types of prairie. What's the right look for me? What's it going to look like? And you cover all that in prairie up and and uh I, and i like you know going to your website you have uh and just go to monarch gardens just type in that you'll find benjamin folks and uh yeah you have this overhead picture of your neighborhood and i've been to your neighborhood so i know <laughs> it's basically <laughs> what it's like and uh landscaping let's say folks is few and far between uh and then there's benjamin's house right in the middle of suburbia kind of uh kind of showing what we can do and can be and uh, yeah, so kudos to you, Benjamin. And I'm curious, you know, a lot of people, Benjamin, are, oh, we got a call coming in, so I'll get them on here in a sec. But um, I'm curious, like looking at your landscape online and whatnot and seeing it, 
I'm curious, do you cut things back in the spring or do you let all the growth come up right through the old growth or do you do a little bit of cutting back or how do you approach the cutback? Because I think a lot of folks teach his own. Yeah, it's it's incredibly nuanced for me. The, the the front yards, which are the most seen by people driving by, I I will cut those back just to sort of keep up with the Jones Joneses and so that and show people that yes, I'm I'm maintaining this landscape. I'm out here doing things intentionally. Nice. Now in the backyard, I'm I'm a little bit looser. There's some places where I just let things come up and let nature do its thing, and there's some other areas where I'm like, I really want some sunlight to hit the ground. Um, so, so I can get some more flower seed to germinate. Gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah, it's it's nuanced, but yeah, we're still we're still weeks and weeks away from cutting things down. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, Benjamin, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I do. I'm going to see if this caller. Hello, caller. Who am we speaking with? Are you with us? <laughs> I can hear him. Hmm. Actually, I don't think it's somebody for us. I think they're probably going, am I supposed to be on the air? Because it, it says Echo Records, and I don't think I'm going to want, be wanting to take a call from Echo <laughs> Records. All right, anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, that kind of threw me for a loop. All right, so Benjamin, first of all, your website's gorgeous. It's uh, just very easy to, yeah, there's the picture I was looking for with on your mission uh, statement that you provide. and. You know, just a very clean, easy-to-manage website for the user, and you've got lots of examples of of the look that you, you are shooting for for people. And, you know, because a lot of times, Benjamin, with prairie plants, the mistakes I see made is, oh, gosh, landscapers, for example, learned about Little Blue Stem, and I want to say because of the statewide arboretum, you know, they would have never heard of Little Blue Stem, but now it's on the map. Mm-hmm. And... I would see them get planted in landscapes and, and, you know, they would space them three feet apart and in with shrub roses. And, and then it had a sprinkler system, you know, that would, that it would hit these plants and they would flop and, Mm -hmm. and the space in between, they would have to pull weeds and, and the plants would ultimately fail. And then that would give little blue stem a bad name that you're trying to go prairie on me, (laughs) but then you're putting in a, you're putting in a sprinkler system and you're putting down three, four inches of wood chips between the plants. Is your mission like with your prairie gardens then is we're going to make this not no maintenance, but, but very low maintenance in that the plants are becoming the mulch themselves, right? Is that kind of the attitude? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there's, there's always maintenance. I think there's this myth out there that if you use native plants just by default, you don't have to do any work. Well, that's not true at all, right? You have to match the plants to the site. You have to plant densely. You have to plant layers. You have to let the plants self-sow and, and, and move around, you know? We are using one or two inches of mulch uh, on many projects, just right at installation, and mm-hmm. then and then we never do it again. Um, so, you know, we are using mulch, but we're not doing it year after year after year like traditional landscapers do. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was curious how you did handle that because that mulch that you're doing when you're installing a project kind of becomes well the landscaper's paintbrush, if you will, right? It looks and there's probably two reasons. One, you're you know, it kind of, mm-hmm. it looks decent, right, from the road. So it's, it's like, mm-hmm. this is a planned landscape. And number two, you're help, mm-hmm. helping to hold in moisture uh, for any irrigation uh, or rainfall, right? It's, it's helping to get the plants yeah. established, right? Yeah, we're, and we're hoping to cover up some of those annual weeds that are, that can be problematic, like crabgrass or foxtail, which aren't problems in the long term. They'll get outcompeted, but we do want to try and reduce a little bit of those weeds early on. Yeah, for sure. And uh, do you bother then, uh, Benjamin, I'm curious, like when you're preparing a site, uh, like say somebody's listening to us and they got nothing but turf grass lawn, 
um, and they want to convert it over to natives. And, uh, you know, they're on a budget, so they're going to do it themselves. And so what would you say to them is the, the probably the easiest on your back, one, and the easiest on your budget, two, uh, to convert that lawn and, and to get your bed prepared to accept uh, prairie plants? And then my second question is going to be, okay, so now I've got my site prepped. Do I do it from seed or do I do it from plugs? So let's address the first one. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, let's address the first one. I got lawn and I want to get rid of it. How do you handle that? You know the answer. I feel like you're setting me up. <laughs> oh no, no. This is for this is for, oh, no. you know for okay. no, no. I'm not setting you up. And I think to each his own. Again, on how I've heard of all yeah, different there, ways to do it. And, there are uh, many. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Bob, there are there are many ways to do it. The, the way if you have a pristine lawn, very little weeds. Uh, the way we do it, that's low budget, low impact. It's just one quick treatment of glyphosate mm-hmm. um, because it's not it's not staying in the soil. It's just targeting leaves and and one application does it. And then we just we just plant straight into the lawn if we're using plugs. And and, and sometimes with lawn, we're also uh, doing the flower. We're doing we're doing flower plugs and masses and drifts. And then we might sow in uh, an easy to to grow native bunch grass like. Cytos grama, uh, you sow it at two or three times the recommended rate, and it will germinate pretty pretty darn well on a dead really? lawn. You're saying right so, through that dead lawn, it'll it'll kind of find yep. its way down to the base of yep. those grasses, and, and poof, come on up. Mm-hmm. That's cool to know. Good, good. Yeah. Now, a little boost them. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> Isn't that wild? But Cytos grama is great for that. So so that's our living green mulch, our, our replacement for, mm-hmm. for, for wood mulch would be a Cytos grama. Yeah, so you can combine, if you're on a strict budget, you can combine uh, flower plugs because when you're using flower plugs or, or potted flowers, mm-hmm. um, you know you, you can control the, the design a little bit where, where you want things to go and how they want to look. And then you, you could sow in a, a grass or some annual flowers around it if the, if, if you got bare soil, mm-hmm. um, or you can go completely from seed. But if you go completely from seed, you know you don't know what's going to come up, where it's going to come up. It's going to take two or th- two or three times longer to establish. So there are there are caveats and there are so many variables. Yes, yes. And, and like you say, if it's a pretty clean yard where there wasn't a whole lot of weed pressure to begin with, that might be okay, right? But then if you're in a place where there's just a lot of weed seed in the yard mm-hmm. and you're going to plant your prairie plants, everybody's like, well, how do I tell the prairie plant from the weeds? And I always say, well, learn your weeds. Well, they're just little babies. Well, you're going to have to learn them what they look like when they're little babies because <laughs> they're much easier to control when they're little babies. But yeah, and I remember people would even ask us, Oh, you guys need to uh, come up with a series of images of what wildflowers look like right after they germinate. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, they all kind of look, <laughs> a lot of them look the same, people. And, uh, you know, it's hard to tell. And it just, to me, it was it sounded like a waste of time. So we never, I, I didn't agree to do that and didn't do that. So anyway, yeah, so let, let's get back to... Uh, all right, so Benjamin, uh, the services that you offer, um, one thing I want to let people know about, of course, you do uh, design surfaces, and but what I would really want to uh, focus on here for a little bit is is all of the great um, classes that you offer. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, people are busy and they don't necessarily have time to go attend a class, but you have basically created a series of online classes so people can can view these, uh, register for these, uh, take part in these on their own time, correct? Yeah, I've got 18 classes that go into incredible detail about every phase, every aspect, every stage of creating your own DIY uh, native plant landscape. And you can take them, yeah, whenever you want, over and over and over, on, on, you know, until the internet collapses. 
Oh, so once they uh, pay for that class, they can view that class mm-hmm. as many times as they want. Cool, cool. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> yeah, and folks, he has like a starter pack, a four-class starter pack, all 18 classes, uh, plus a consult and a community access. That's just good work on that. And I don't know of anybody else that has done that, certainly not in the Great Plains, right, Benjamin? I imagine, <laughs> if not the country. Well, I, w- I, would like to think, I would like to think that, Bob, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so basically you have 15 hours of video content that will get you on the right path toward a natural, resilient, low-management habitat garden that appeals to both wildlife and people. I'm reading right off his site, folks. And these classes will save you time and expense. And that's the biggest thing for all of us is time and expense because we're all usually short on that, aren't we, people? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so so that, yeah, just kudos to you for having that available for all of us people out there. And then people, and then what about like a any sort of monthly newsletter or or blog or anything like that can you tell us about I'm all over the place I'm doing way too much you know right? I, I have I, I don't have a you know free time what's that you know? right can we so, clone you yeah. by the way yeah we need to clone you, uh. Would you please? <laughs> we need to clone you too Bob. Uh, <laughs> no yeah I got the newsletter I am I am all over social media I love to be on Instagram it's probably my favorite site I love posting pictures of projects we're working on and just and just the home landscape and how and how pretty it looks this time of year it's dry it's it's warm and and brown is the color too there's so many awesome shades and hues to all these these uh you know desiccated uh prairie plants out here the grasses and, and the wildflowers are they're just gorgeous and I want everybody to think they're gorgeous with me. <laughs> yeah, that's cool because you're right. It's like, well, what do they look like in the wintertime? They're just brown and, you know, ugly. And it's like, no, no. And, and of course, the, they've kind of coined the winter interest. Well, it's more than just interesting. Yeah. It's beautiful, like you said. And one thing I appreciate about prairie grasses and, of course, the forbs intermixed with them and, you know, we've been so dry, people, and then if we get, mm. you know, some winter uh, rain, you know, followed by snow, whatever, those grasses um, absorbing a little bit of moisture, their stems, those brown stems, their their color darkens a little bit more. And uh, oh yeah, don't you love that? That's one of my favorite parts of it. And, uh, you know, then they dry back up again once the, you know, a few dry days and, and that, that color kind of goes away. But they, the color does intensify with moisture, which is just really cool to see, in my opinion. And, and I think that clues, clues us into another benefit of having all these plants standing in the winter is thinking about urban infrastructure and reducing storm runoff. These plants are still holding on to and absorbing water and reducing storm runoff even in the winter. Good point, because, you know, you're right. Uh, Lincoln was forecast for what, like a, a foot of snow, and then everybody's kind of whining because, well, they were wrong. We, we only got like an inch. But I was like, well, we did get a half inch of rain before that. And everybody's like, well, yeah. that, that'll just run off. The soil's frozen. And I'm with you. If you have plants there, because basically, yeah, your soil might be frozen underneath the prairie plants, um, but likely it's going to be frozen first on bare soil, on compacted soil, on turf mm-hmm. grass soil. Then, you know, and if you don't, if you doubt me, try digging in so-called frozen soil in your turf grass and then go right out into your prairie and try to dig there and you'll probably find that you're able to get your spade in the ground where the prairie was it takes longer to freeze and consequently it takes longer to wake up in the spring because the soil is is shaded and all those roots and stems are now a pathway for that rainwater to uh, to absorb rather than run off so yeah you see it a lot of times you know it's like oh what are you going to do about global warming we get these nine inch downpours you know and how how am i going to 
capture some of that rainwater, well, <laughs> plant prairie and you will. <laughs> and and then the drought too, you know, everybody's concerned about the yeah. drought uh, as we should be. And, um, you know, if anything can take it, it's prairie plants. And in fact, usually we'll see everybody looking dry and desolate and the prairie's like going and shrugging its shoulders going, bring it on. Oh yeah, and and I think critical that again, again is just having density and layers in your landscape and making sure you're picking plants that are suited to your light and soil conditions. I always I always have to push that idea. But yeah, no, a lot of my my neighbors' lawns were totally brown this last summer, and my all my native prairie plants were were green as a Christmas tree. <laughs> That's awesome. Good stuff. All right. Well, all right, Benjamin. Uh, we got about three minutes before I take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, just just plants that really have been your go-to. You know, maybe we can talk about some, some shade lovers and uh, your approach to uh, what we would call uh, woodland-type gardens, folks. And, you know, woodland, you've got woodlands, savanna, and prairie. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of coin those things as, well, I have shade, part shade, and full sun, right? So it's uh, mm-hmm. the same concept, the same kind of rules that we can follow with those things. But, uh, but yeah, we can, uh, we can talk about those. But uh, first, I'm going to take a break, and uh, we come back, and we'll talk plants with you. And, and, and of course, uh, the process as well is, you know, I've got this big oak tree in my yard, and, uh, you know, what can I do? People ask me, Benjamin, you know, I've got this big old mature oak tree. What can I do to ensure that tree is going to be healthy for decades? Uh, you know, I don't want my big tree to up and die on me. What? And I always say, does it have grass under it? Well, yeah. And I'm like, well, <laughs> eliminate that grass <laughs> and uh, convert it over to something else. Well, why is that? Well, because your mower, believe it or not, if you've been mowing that same patch of grass under your oak tree for 40 years, maybe not you, but you and the person before you did, uh, 40 years, once a week uh, throughout the growing season, I'm sorry, it's compacted soil just from your footprints and that mower, mm-hmm. let alone a riding mower. And uh, so the rain that does fall, you know, the tree doesn't get any because the turf grass does. And, of course, it's getting some. We all know that. The tree's alive, obviously. But, um, you know, and you're going to make your trees healthier and and grow faster. And all the leaves that drop off those trees, you're not going to worry about raking anymore. They're just going to kind of settle in amongst your plants. And and, uh, you won't have to provide any supplemental irrigation. And so you'll save money on your water bill. That that just sounds like a win-win to me, people. So, Benjamin, you're going to convince all of us when we come back, this is how you do yes. it. This is how you do it, and it's so easy. Yes. And, well, I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't say easy. No, don't say easy. Yeah, don't say easy, but it, rewarding. How about that? Very rewarding. And so knowing yeah. you're doing the right thing. All right, Benjamin, thank you again for your time. I'm going to keep you on the line. I'll take uh, it'll be about a couple, three minutes before I get you back on. We'll take a break and have you back. Thank you, sir. Sweet. All right, that's Benjamin Vote for Monarch Gardens. Love having Benjamin on the program. Stick around. If you have any questions for us, 402-474-5086. We can get you on the line as well. Otherwise, keep it right there. This is KZUM and How's It Growing? All right, welcome back to How's It Growing, your weekly gardening connection right here on KZUM Lincoln, the fastest hour on radio. We are connecting today with Benjamin Vote from Monarch Gardens. Benjamin, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate all the work you do trying to make uh, one garden at a time. Prairie Up, and uh, you can order Prairie Up online. Just go to, it's available at Amazon, and uh, just, I don't know if you're aware of this, Benjamin, if I told you ever this, that 
Uh, when you were writing this book, um, I got contacted from the University of Illinois Press to do to be one of the reviewers of your book. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you that. And of course, I said, no. and of course, I said, no, no, this thing's horrible. You can't. No, no. Uh, of course, I, I pointed out to them that yeah, there was no other book like this out there on on the market, and uh, it's going to be popular and. Uh, more or less said you'd be fools not to not to print this book <laughs> not in the so many words but uh, but yeah it was just kind of fun to know that you know you know i of course had to keep it a secret and not tell you but i think the word's out now it's official yes the word is out now <laughs> but yeah that's just cool for pretty cool stuff and, and you know when i saw that you know you're you released it and it's out and then selling out in like a month less than a month um Pretty, pretty cool stuff. Uh, there is hope for humanity. All right. Uh, okay, so on, on Benjamin's website, folks, what's great is you can see lots of testimonials from there, which I always appreciate, um, you know, what, what people are getting out of their gardens. And I'm curious, Benjamin, you know, you're busy as all get out when you started this. How many years ago did you start Monarch Gardens again? Uh, you know, I think I've, I think it was about 2015 that I officially went from doing part-time consulting to ending my teaching career and trying this. And uh, okay. yeah, those first few years were a little rough. I'm sure they were. And uh, just what am I? <laughs> what am I doing? What did I do myself? Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, well, just the practical things too. Like, okay, where do I get plants? <laughs> exactly. Know? Exactly. Uh, well, and creating the demand. You know, I always tell people. You know, if you ask for prairie plants, you know, and you get kind of a eyebrow raised from the the garden center, your favorite of choice. Oh, oh, well, I think we have some over here, and they're all you know cultivars. Well, kind of like. Eh. But in other words, we create the demand. You ask for. Them, they're going to start looking into it more, educating themselves and getting them out there. So they're all over. And even the big box stores are starting to go a little native. But mm -hmm. but anyway, Benjamin, I'm curious then, you've seen the demand for prairie gardens, for native landscaping grow. Does it depend on the demographic that, you're, that your clientele, are, are you seeing it kind of across the board? Is it like um, an older demographic, first of all, maybe uh, younger new homeowners are also interested? Who's mainly interested in, in native type landscaping and why would you yeah, say? We're, we're doing about 30 landscapes a year right now and it is definitely all across the board, which is so cool to see. Yeah. Um, you know, when people call me, it's like, I mean, they, they are already so into this. They've done a lot of reading. They've done a lot of research, both on me and just native plants in general. And they're like raring to go, which is gotcha. so exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely big houses, small houses, older folks, younger folks, new house, 50-year-old house, doesn't matter. Too cool. And are you seeing then, uh, is your attitude, okay, maybe they're not going to convert their whole yard. Maybe it's just going to be like, I call it like a posted mm -hmm. stamp prairie garden, like 12 by 12 feet, whatever, right? Um, mm -hmm. I still see those 12 by 12 foot little gardens as benefit because the more of those little posted stamp gardens we get in every neighborhood and every yard, then all of a sudden we have connection points for those beneficial insects like our pollinating insects, folks, to, to go because, you know, your yard there in your neighborhood, for example, is basically, you know, <laughs> the oasis in a, in a food desert, right, to the, to the, a lot of the critters yeah. out there. And so the more these little posted stamp gardens we have, in other words, it doesn't have to be huge, folks. You have the space for native plants. It doesn't have to be a huge uh, prairie garden type thing and then a lot of us are dealing with shade in Lincoln because we have trees and I think a lot of th 
people, and I get this from folks, Benjamin, is that, well, I can't do a prairie garden because of all the shade, you know, and if we, and if all we did is all these prairie gardens, there would be a fire threat uh, around people's yards. And I've got all these shade trees, so how can I plant prairie? Well, you don't. Uh, and because I've seen people try to force prairie into too much shade, the plants struggle, they get floppy, they don't look good, it looks like mm -hmm. a weed patch to their neighbors, and they kind of throw their hands in the air after I visit their site, and I'm like, well, it's pretty much shaded six hours, seven hours of the day from your big oak tree, <laughs> you know? It's yeah. not liking the lack of sun. But there's things we can do, right, Benjamin? We can still convert that to native plants that we would call a woodland garden, right? Or a, a savanna garden, or a, or another word that's, a phrase that's coined is, is sedge meadow. And you kind of do sedge all- Sedge meadow, shade meadow, yeah. Yeah, you kind of do all those things, right, with your installs. Sedges are sexy. <laughs> we need to make so shirts. <laughs> you need a shirt, buddy. I'd buy that. Sedges are sexy. Okay. And maybe the back says sed uh -oh. sedges do indeed have the edges. All right. So sedges, yeah. people, uh, the plant uh, Benjamin's referring to, and we've talked about in the program before, they're, they're, they look like grasses. They're grass cousins. You know, they, you know, they're just not true grasses. But sedges are not the yellow nut sedge that everybody's thinking of. That's the weed. That weed comes from Europe, and it was introduced here. And we go, that's a whole other story. But the, the native sedges, the carrick species, man, there's lots of them in Nebraska. There's at least 60 species, most of which are wetland species that grow in wet areas. But there's a handful of them, at least, what, Benjamin, would you say a half dozen or more? That, uh, at oh, least, at least. At yeah. least native to Nebraska. And then you can go to regional natives and get more. But um, so these are, are fine-textured little bunch grasses, or you can get, like, Pennsylvania sedge that'll be a nice uh, runner for you and, and create a alternative mm -hmm. lawn look. I'm curious, uh, for the folks listening, do you have kind of your go-to... Uh, woodland sedges that you plant uh, and I imagine when you're planting these Benjamin you're not just putting one here and one there are you just kind of making that kind of your base layer if you will with with the the sedges before you put any flowers in there yeah yeah but yeah well well we actually do the flowers first and then do okay. the sedge every 12 every 12 inches apart but you can do it any way you want to mm -hmm. yeah we do we do a sedge plug every 12 inches and cool. uh you know the top ones i'm gonna i'm sorry guys i'm gonna use the latin it's what i know that's fine uh carex albican uh carex springallii absolutely carex pennsylvanica um i'll even throw in some carex blanda once in a while um, and, you know, um, I, I sometimes treat Carex springallii as a drift among Carex albicans. So you've got Carex albicans really low, and mm -hmm. then you bring in some taller springallii, and it just gives you some added texture and height and, cool. and different things. Because I think in a shade garden, texture is really important, those leaf contrasts and, and things like that. Yeah, good point, because no matter what flower you choose, it's going to be fleeting. They don't bloom all summer. Mm -hmm. They don't bloom all spring and uh, or fall, for that matter. And, and there's lots to choose from there. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. So, folks, I will uh, – the Carex albicans that Benjamin's referring to is uh, just – referred to as oak sedge that's one of the one of the names of it and i think that's the main name that, that's used not that plant should be in every garden plain and simple yep we're, we're talking yep. tough and <laughs> man i've got it you know when you're when your big old oak tree's coming down and you've got the uh the the tapered trunk where there's maybe a little soil space in between that taper as it's meeting the ground heck i planted mm -hmm. oak sedge in that dry area and it just shrugs its shoulders and says drought bring it on 
very fine textured, handsome little fellow that, uh, you know, the flowers um, add a little little interest because it says to you winter's over and they often bloom in March, right? Wouldn't you say, Benjamin, late March, something like that? Yeah, Maybe there's some March and April in there. They, they, they green up before a lot of the lawns around me. They sure do. Yeah, yeah. And Benjamin also mentioned one Sprengelii, which has got a number of names. I like Longbeak Sedge is probably the name that's mm -hmm. easiest for folks to remember. And Longbeak Sedge, uh, man, Benjamin, I can tell you a story here. I remember many moons ago, uh, we were at a property outside of Cedar Bluffs called Pahuka, or Pahuk, Pahuk Hill, where to the Pawnee, that's where the universe began. And uh, the landowner takes, takes us out into his woods there that were bordering the plat, and uh, it was covered in a green carpet. And, and I was like, wow. And I knew it was a sedge, but I'm like, what's this? And he didn't know. And he was like, all I know is it's green like this, you know, past Thanksgiving. And I'm, my first thoughts are, oh, man, here it, here it is right in front of me, lawn alternative, just just staring at me in the face. So uh, he let me dig a plant or two. I brought it back, uh, grew it for a while until I got seed heads on it. And then I used uh, Kay Cotis from Prairie Legacy because she's the sedge queen. And, and she ID'd it for me as, as the long beak. And then I also had gotten the Ebernia from the same site. And uh, mm -hmm. the Ebernia is a little bristly sedge, folks, or uh, Eastern, I can't remember another common name for it. But anyway, uh, long story short, I started growing it and offering it. And at first, everybody's just like, you know, why plant this lowly bird, right? It's just kind of, we call wow. these workhorses. And now yeah. I can't keep uh, a hold of it. It's, you know, it's just really cool to see because I thought, I'm crazy doing this, you know, because <laughs> last time I checked, you got to make a buck, right? And so, yeah, you know, uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, it's come a long I, way. You know, I am so glad you mentioned, yeah, Ebernia. I think that's a fun one to use between uh, stone steppers or pathways Ooh. or something, because it's like this little troll doll head. It doesn't get very tall at all. It just it slowly self-sows and creeps around. So. Too cool. You're getting yours to self-sow. That's nice to hear. Yeah. and, and have, Lightly. Lightly, yeah. <laughs> and, and when they do so, you're like, okay, little baby, come on. It's going to be a while before you get up there. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably the finest textured of all the sedges. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it really can take, and I know a, a lady that I convinced her to plant some. She's in Omaha, and she she actually wrote an article in their um, Roots and Shoots, I think they call it, through extension, touting the sedges, woodland sedges. And the Ebernia that she planted, a little bristle leaf sedge, wasn't performing very well in her dense shade, so she moved it out where it was getting maybe four to five hours of sun, and she said it took yeah. off from the word go. In fact, she had wow. some almost out in full sun, and I was kind of taken back by how nice the plants looked. And I've actually planted that long beak sedge that you were touting, Benjamin, yeah. in, in full sun. Never gave oh, yeah. it a drink to see, can you take that? And it sure can. I've put it in a bioswale before where it's had standing water around its feet for two or three days. And then extreme drought conditions uh, in the heat of summer. And that plant shrugged its shoulders and said... Dude, you can plant long beak sedge wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I think I think albacans is like that too in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I would agree. And and I've also found the wetland species can take dry shade just as much as they can a, a wet ditch out in the full sun. Mm -hmm. and, and you might, might be interested in knowing this too, Benjamin. We were hiking around out in the Shadron area. There's a place called Sow Belly Canyon. Have you ever heard of it? No. Yeah. Uh, make it on your wish list as you get out west. Sow Belly Canyon, great area to explore. There's uh, 
Oh, the other name's escaping me for a natural area that, that is okay for us. Gilbert Baker. Gilbert Baker Wildlife Management Area. So you're in the heart of Pine Ridge country there. So we're walking around and I'm with tree people, right? And and I'm a tree person too, but they're all walking ahead of me and I'm looking down what it's my what it's my what's at my feet, what's growing around me. And it was a solid patch of some I thought it was a grass. And then I start looking closer. No. I saw the seed heads. I'm walking in a path of Sprangle sedge out in Shadron. So when I got home, of course, I looked it up on the USDA site. Sure enough, it's native to the Pine Ridge, too. So now Plant Select is interested in this plant. And I think he's having a hard time convincing the wholesalers (laughs) out there in Colorado to offer this plant uh, because they're like, well, it's it's. It doesn't have a fall color. It doesn't have a beautiful flower or seed head. Why would we want this? You know, it's like, guys, this is lawn alternatives for the Denver area, uh, which Mm -hmm. the front range, last time I checked, is always dry. And they overwater in Denver, too. And water's a huge issue all over the place in the the panhandle of Nebraska, too. So, so much potential. And I told him, if you ever get that going, I want to get the Pawnee's uh, permission and name it Pahuka. Would that be a yeah. cool name for a long beak so sedge? Cool. Yes. So so that's oh, a little God. story I had to tell you about that bird. All right, Benjamin. So now you've got our so Benjamin's planting them twelve inches on center. I love that attitude. They'll grow together, but you're gonna plant your wildflowers in between those those twelve inch mm-hmm. little plugs, right? And so mm-hmm. give us give us some wildflowers that we should plant in that shady area that, that would maybe bloom in spring, uh, summer or yeah. fall. What are your kind of summer's go-tos a, there? Summer is a hard one, Bob. It is. <laughs> Very few, if any, uh, right? Spring, spring and spring and fall is easy, especially when you add uh, ephemerals into the mix. Spring spring is probably the showiest, but I'm just going to talk about perennials. I'm going to keep it easy. Herbaceous perennials. Mm-hmm. Make it simple. Uh, you know, we have a lot of good standbys. Uh, the wild geranium and wild columbine. Nice. I won't, I won't use Latin on those. Uh, I really come to enjoy early meadowrue, balactrum, dioicum, or however you want to pronounce it. Okay. Um, because, and especially when you mass that together, and, and and you know the male and the female plants look differently when they're when they're flowering. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But you know, do seven of those together, and and their foliage is such a lovely contrast to the sedge that you're going to be planting underneath these and around these plants. That's good to know. Um, so that you know, that early meadow rue you're talking about, I, I I know I've read about it or seen it, come across it, whatever in in literature, whatnot. Mm-hmm. I have never grown it before. And is that is that early meadow rue Thalictrum dioicum or whatever the is that a, a native Nebraska bird or is that regionally yeah, I think native? It's far eastern. It's far. I think it's far eastern. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and right, so right you found edge. you found it can take that dry shade, right? Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and this is what I'm talking about. These are all these plants I'm talking about are are, are dry shade or or, or medium at, at most. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Wild geranium, wild columbine can't go wrong with either. I agree. And uh, man, wild columbine's another one, folks. It should be in every garden. Period. Well, of course. Well, what about woodland flocks? Do you plant any of that as well? Oh, uh, I have a hard time with that because it's like a. It's like it's like. You know, it's 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 bunny nirvana. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of the areas I'm planting in, you know, it will. I mean, over time, with the once the sedge grows up and, and mm-hmm. sort of acts as a bodyguard a little bit more, it can help with some of those. Um, but early, <laughs> the first early years, it's hard to keep it going. 
That's funny. That's funny. I, I can I picture you probably have a, a chapter or a paragraph or two in your book talking about the sedges being your bodyguard. That's cool because yes, you're I like, do. Oh, and it, I'm going to hide this puppy, you know, because uh -huh. uh, the the sedges people that we're talking about, the, the prairie grasses, for that matter, uh, bunnies don't like them. Uh, they don't uh, deer uh -huh. deer certainly don't like them. So they're not they're not grazed upon. So they they make great companions. Saying to the rabbit looking over there, going, dude, there's nothing for you over here. You know, uh, yep. it's just a, a, a whole bunch of sedges. <laughs> You're not going to find anything else. <laughs> All right. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, all right. Any other go-tos for, for spring? Yeah. Well, yeah, I would I would throw in Solomon Seal. That's always a good one. I, I love to see the queen bumblebees out there just dangling from the flowers nice. upside down, gathering pollen for their new nest. Nice. Um, yeah. And then uh, let, let's go to fall with some calico aster and some zigzag goldenrod. Nice. Yeah, that calico aster is a sure a nice plant. And uh, my, oh, my, it, it's another one, Benjamin, that I found it, it can take part shade, maybe not yes. dense shade so much, but part shade to full sun, right? And, it's, and it does well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say I would say part shade more so than full shade. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I've been really falling in love with, uh, you know, I knew about big leaf aster for, for many years. That's more of a Minnesota oh, native. Yeah. And I imagine you're using that one as well, right? Yeah, I, I, I love that one because it'll creep around and fill in the gaps a little bit. And then, and then again, those leaves, well, they're big <laughs> and they're yeah. nice, nice contrast to the thinner, finer leaves of most sedge species. Yeah, good, good. I like that, uh, that, that contrast and texture thing. Yeah, because folks, you see the big leaf aster in action, you know, the leaf, I'm, I swear, I remember six inches, solid six inches and, and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, you look at this thing as a ground cover in the spring and in the in the summer before mm -hmm. it blooms, you, you'll go like, what? That's not an aster. No way. Look at the <laughs> leaves. And then and then all of a sudden these flower spikes come up out of the, that that big six-inch leaf uh, mast on the ground. And poo -poo, here come these flower spikes blooming up to, what, around two to three feet, something like that, I would say. Yeah, depending on how much moisture it has, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And have you planted at all uh, two more asters that I'm really fallen in love with and, and one of them I discovered down at Wilderness Park so I'm like well shoot why aren't we planting the Hartley faster more so we've been playing with that mm -hmm. one more the, the Aster Cordifolius mm -hmm. and uh, man that that bird sure is impressive too talk about lots of flowers uh, small flowers but so massed yeah. on that plant but yeah, and that's going to give you a little bit of that blue or bluish violet color to it too. So the asters we've been talking about so far have white petals, mm -hmm. so this will give you a different color, which is both good for humans and pollinators, right? Because everybody likes different things. No doubt, that's awesome. And have you played with what's called shorts aster, aster shorty eye, yet? No, I've never used shorty eye. It's it's on the list though. I'm telling you, um, it for me, it's like, dude, where have you been all my life? I mean, it 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 bloomed, oh, yeah? it bloomed in 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 my part shade. I've got uh, pin oaks that are limbed up, to, you know, 20 feet or plus, mm -hmm. right, right by the roadside. So they're getting a little morning sun and a little afternoon sun, but nothing in between. And that little meatball was out there blooming, what like a a two by two foot, well behaved. You know, the the uh, heart leaf aster we were talking about. Yeah, a little wilder looking, but but uh, mm -hmm. but still uh, refined enough to say hi, how are you? And then, uh, but the shorts aster has a boring name, unfortunately. Poor shorts, uh, you know. <laughs> but it is what it is. Uh, but that that's a good one. And I'm curious if you've tried, um, which is uh, aster divaricatus, the uh, um, white wood aster, I believe it's called. 
I think that one's more native east, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. It's okay to cheat a little bit. It is. I think so, too. You know, uh, plants drew, or man drew borders, plants didn't. Even though that Devaricatus is an eastern native, um, certainly tough, uh, dry shade. Yeah, it is um, very tough. Nice-looking foliage on it, and... uh, yeah, so I was just curious if you if you planted that at all. Okay, and then Benjamin also mentioned zigzag goldenrod, and that's a goldenrod for uh, savannas, uh, part shade, you know, dense shade. It'll grow. It just won't bloom as well in in uh, mm-hmm. as it would in part shade or full sun. And talk about an easy plant that you know will spread just a little bit every year. And if and if it spreads too much for you, say, okay, I'm going to plant somebody next to you that's going to put a stop to your spreading and let them kind of bump into each other. Is that how you handle those so-called spreaders that uh, oh, you know, yeah. let them weave and bump? Well, let them weave and bump. And that, that that's the wonderful thing about planting densely. Don't plant things three feet apart. Let's get them up together. Let's have them competing just like they are in the wild. They they thrive off of competition. They've evolved for competition. And I think in a lot of ways, they'll look better and perform better when we can create that competition. And, and you know, that, that zigzag goldenrod, man, it smells so gosh darn good, too. It, it is oh. great perfume right there. Son of a gun. I've never noticed that. You're saying, the, you know, sticking your nose in the flowers when they're in bloom? You don't even have to do that. You can walk. You can be walking by six, ten feet away, and Dang. I got one on our front sidewalk, and this thing is just just divine. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to have to wake my nose up when I'm uh, walking yeah. by it next time it blooms. And go, dude, pay attention. Yeah, and I don't know if you know this. Uh, talking about scent, uh, I have to bring this up. Uh, are you familiar? Now we're going to we're going to switch to full sun now here, folks. But the black eyed mm-hmm. Susans, everybody knows the black eyed Susans. But there's there's one of them called sweet coneflower Rebecca subtomentosa. Oh, yeah. That man, and uh, I didn't realize this while I'm walking by. There was some planted in the backyard farm gar- farmer garden on East Campus, and I'm walking by. Oh, this was uh, probably in November, late November, something like that. And I get a whiff of something sweet in the air, and I'm like, dang, what is that? Well, my nose brought me to that patch of sweet coneflower, Rudbeckia subtomentosa, folks, and and I was like, wow, it smelled like sweet grass. Uh, it was just a wonderful scent. So I cut some of that and brought it to my shade house and put it inside the shade house. Well, the next day when I opened the door to the shade house, which is a 40 by 70 foot building, the whole darn room smelled sweet like that. And I was like, ah. Oh. Okay, well, now I see where you get your name, Mr. Sweet Coneflower, because I've never made tea out of you, and I plan on it, because I know it's edible. Um, but yeah, did you, were you aware of that? It's a neat plant. Yeah, no, I've, I've grown that one here at, here at headquarters for a long time. It's, it's, a, it's certainly, it can be a tall uh, black-eyed Susan, like five or six feet tall, and it definitely selfs those around, so be aware of that, folks. And it's a perennial. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and so I've seen it in gardens where they top water, in, including the garden I was mentioning. And mm-hmm. by the time the plant's blooming, it gets a little floppy. And uh, so mm-hmm. that probably wouldn't be happening if they weren't top watering, I would imagine, right? I don't know. You know, I've got it here in the backyard, and I don't water at all, and it's still getting five feet tall and floppy. So I mean, mm. I have it in a place around taller plants, and I'm trying to increase density around the root zone so there's more competition there. But it still mm-hmm. gets so tall. It's just it's a very robust black-eyed Susan. Yeah, and I'm glad you say that. Long-lived, easy to grow, and that's what we want in gardens. And I I learned about it from Rod. Uh, oh. Rod from uh, Bluebird Nursery. Rod's the plant guy at mm-hmm. Bluebird, right? And he told me, 
I was at some meeting and he was like, that plant's overlooked and underutilized and uh, we get our seed from a prairie uh, just outside of South Sioux City. So I thought that was cool. Of course, I had to look it up online to see. Yeah. And then he also, uh, the uh, meadow gay feather, that uh, uh, Lyatra species, the uh, uh, Ligula stylus, that, you know, oh, yeah. there's a population there in the South Sioux City area that they also get their seeds from. So even though Bluebird offers, you know, a lot of non-natives, the they do pay attention and i know they get a lot of seed from prairie moon mm-hmm. nursery as well so so good stuff all right benjamin it is the fastest hour in radio darn it i could talk mm-hmm. to you all day on the air here but our listeners are like dude we want to hear some blues this afternoon and some jazz we don't want to hear you two yakking about plants <laughs> until the cows come <laughs> home well i i do thank you for your time and i do thank you for inspiring me once again and getting out there and converting getting rid of that lawn and and converting it to prairie, converting it to woodland, converting it to savannah. And folks, you can follow Benjamin on on Facebook. He's on Instagram. All the other stuff. Like you said, you're all over the place. Just uh, encourage you folks to uh, sign up for his newsletter. You know, whatever it takes, check out monarchgardens.com. All right, Benjamin, I thank you for your time and uh, keep up the great work and congratulations again on Prairie Up Success. Yeah, thank you, Bob. It's always a pleasure. All right, you're welcome. Now get back to work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy, we'll see you around. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that's Benjamin Vote from Monarch Gardens. Hope you enjoyed the program today. Hope you got something out of it. Hope you're looking to convert your yard, get rid of more lawn, and uh, shore up our nation's biodiversity. Snub your nose at climate change by making a difference right on your property. I'll see you next week. Take care and enjoy the weather. See you next week. Adios.